This is Kate Bernat of Good Beer Hunting, and you're listening to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. Today, we are welcoming in the chairperson slash president of the Cannabis Beverage Association, and she's also the VP of Marketing for Source Technologies. Coming to us from Virginia, please welcome Diana Eberline. How are you, Diana? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Kyle. You're very welcome. I'm very excited to talk, uh, like bringing in fresh new topics that are timely, especially with the new expo coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I were, were talking a little bit before we popped on here. And, um, you know, we're going to be talking about the cannabis beverage industry. And uh, I wanted to know how you became Canna Curious. Sure. Uh, yeah, my backstory. I was a dare baby that... <laughs> Grew up thinking cannabis was the gateway. Uh, And then eight years ago, I moved to Seattle, Washington. It was legal there Mm. and not legal in California, which is where I moved from. And everyone I knew consumed, whether it was vaping, edibles, for different reasons, different times of day. And these were functioning adults. Yeah. Uh, with some with kids, some with pets, you know, lawyers, doctors. Yeah. And I thought there's got to be something to this if if everyone's trying it. Um, I, I decided to do it and try it out myself. I bought things I didn't need. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and luckily got a good bud tender one day that recommended a drink mixer to me. But he was like, you know, it tastes... It's very minimal taste. I actually add it to my oatmeal in the morning or I'll add it to my coffee. The bud tender said that? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Bud tender said that. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like I haven't heard of anyone consuming that way. And he's like, well, the best part is like you can really control the dose. It was a 10 milligram vial and that would have been too much for me. He's like, yeah, I just pour like a quarter of it in, just a little drop. And that's how I became a microdoser. Beverage is the only way I consume cannabis. Um, I'll obviously try products and whatnot on the market so I can speak to them. But the reason I I like beverage and how I ended up specifically working for Source is it was the only way that it blended into my existing lifestyle um, that I could enjoy and control the dose. And But particularly what's great with beverage is it's consistent with the experience you get. And I think consumers are always worried, especially if they had a bad edible experience in college back in the day, you know, that three hours staring at the wall, second guessing every <laughs> decision you've ever made. We've all had that. Um, and this eliminates that risk. The onset is within 10 to 15 minutes. The offset is between 45 minutes and an hour, and that's going to be consistent. So you can either, you know, make these sessionable and continue to build your high, if you will, or, you know, it's a one and done. And in an hour, you're going to go back to how you were before. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a 10. So beverage wise, you can have a 10 milligram, you can have a hundred milligram, or are there some, some rules there? It depends on the marketplace. So, for example, the West Coast, Washington, California, Oregon, the top beverages you'll find there are 100 milligram beverages, uh, oftentimes in a two ounce shot format. That is definitely, yeah, exactly. That's very concentrated. So you can't break that up into half, really, and go, hey, I want 10 out of this. And you could, they they typically are regulated to have dosing caps, but that is not how consumers are consuming those platforms. Most of those products are designed for the existing cannabis consumer, not necessarily the canna-curious who would start with a beverage because that's a more approachable method of consumption. They're not going to start smoking at 40, maybe. Uh, It's more like acceptable in public or whatever also, right? Yeah. You blend in at a barbecue. 
You know, no one's right. going to be like, oh, what do you, you know, they might ask what you're drinking. And ultimately I take advantage of those for educational purposes. Sure. That's how beverage has grown thus far. It's really been word of mouth and people yeah. sharing these products at events and parties and getting, that's how I got my family into it. So it's, yeah. And that's an important part to this. I mean, beverages are social. You can, yeah. obviously you can drink them throughout the day while you're working by yourself, but beverages are a social uh, method of consumption and it doesn't change the environment you're in. It's a great, if you're looking to bring this into your lifestyle and you don't want to disrupt anything, this is going to fit into your routine. Well, that's like exactly what liquid death did with water, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Put it in a can. You're not the outcast drinking a water bottle while everyone else is drinking beer or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes it much more acceptable and normalized. I keep waiting for liquid death to get into the cannabis game. I think their branding is, is perfect for it. So yeah. my seed being planted, I keep planting it. Um, but I, I feel like that could be a really natural extension for them. hundred percent. Okay. And also, so, you know, what are some reasons people would get can curious, right? Like, Hey, you had an injury or anxiety and you don't want to take pills from a doctor, right? I mean, this is some of the. Yeah. I mean, we can't make any medical claims. We can say anecdotally, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you'll hear me say a lot, but anecdotally, people are feeling more relief from anxiety or physical pain from consuming these products. Um, it, depending on the method of, depending on the injury or what you're working with might determine what method of consumption you prefer for it. But I've spoken to numerous patients that are drinking low and high dose mm -hmm. to alleviate daily you know, pain or they're looking for maintenance. Yeah. And that's, what's nice about this too. This is something you can control and consume daily, just like you would a vitamin. Sure. And I think a lot of people are looking at this uh, and it's certainly something I look at as a daily, this is my daily vitamin. I take it in the morning. I put, you know, I do dose my coffee on occasion. That's, that's how I live my life. And I think ultimately that's how people want, they want the flexibility. They want to drink a beverage that they actually enjoy the flavor of. And that's yeah. very doable, especially at a low dose, because you're working with emulsified distillate, which is essentially uh, near tasteless. Yeah. Uh, doesn't need bitter blockers, can be masked with natural flavors. Most of the beverages out there that are low dose are under 30 calories. And sometimes the 30 calories, that's only there because they might be doing like a spindrift type where they added natural juice and that's where the sugar is coming from. It's not, you know, to mask anything. It's just, that's the desired flavor profile they want. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. And if you can control it and, you know, obviously smoking, you don't know what you're going to get, right? So this is a way to go, Hey, I don't want to get crazy. I just want to mellow out. I know if I drink this beverage, this is what's in it. And um, I'm going to be where I'm at. There's no surprises. Yeah, absolutely. There's no surprises. It's very consistent experience. And that's what I think makes a lot of the can of curious, if you will, feel comfortable trying this product. Um, they're going to try it. They're going to feel confident in it. They're going to feel, they're going to figure out, it's just like, you know, when you went to college and you figured out, you know, what your tolerance was for alcohol. Very sure. similar. What's different about this is when you get to a certain high, if you will, and you feel good, you don't crave another beverage. You don't have that need that you do typically with alcohol when you're at like, oh, my glass is empty. I have to refill it. It becomes a cycle. With cannabis, you don't have that. You feel good. You might drink something else, but you know, like, this is where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. It's, it's a different feeling. Um, but ultimately, I think that's why I don't get hangovers anymore. <laughs> sure. And how many states are offering, um, you know, cannabis and beverages? 
with the Hempty Nine beverages, there are essentially every state is getting serviced in some way. People yeah. are they're shipping that across state lines because it's hemp derived. So they're using a workaround to do that. But yeah. that's benefiting the cannabis category or the cannabis beverage category. Cannabis beverage category as a whole is like 3% of the market. Right. It's small but mighty. People say it will be a top consumption over 50% of the market one day. And I believe that, but that's going to be a long, that's the long game. Sure. Uh, but ultimately, I believe, you know, the Hempty Nine has allowed more people to have access to this product. And accessibility has always been the number one. That's our gateway as a cannabis beverage uh, association. Our biggest issue is someone who wants to try a five, two milligram, low, something low dose beverage that's similar to a White Claw or Bud Light. Yeah. They're not going to a dispensary. They're not just going to walk by that aisle. There's no dispensary aisle. It's not a pharmacy. It's it's you have to make a conscious effort, a special trip. You have to have your ID. You have to pay in cash. You have to. It's just different, and it's not necessarily bad. It just isn't the comfortable, normal experience they're used to. Yeah. We want these low dose products to eventually, you know, long game to be sitting on a shelf labeled, you know, labeled as a cannabis beverage, but next to essentially products that offer a similar experience, which would be a white claw or a Bud Light, because that's where those people are walking the aisles. And that's the experience you're seeing in Minnesota. Hmm. Interesting. We'll dive into Minnesota. Let's talk about real quick, you know, again, that maybe some people don't know what they want, right? If they go to a place, a state, where they can walk into a dispensary or something. You mentioned a bud tender before. Like, is that the best way to go about this? Hey, you know, is a bud tender going to say, hey, what are you trying to do? What would you like to achieve? Or do you kind of look around and hope you pick the right thing? The experience is is a little hit or miss, unfortunately. Um, What I would recommend is as a consumer, if you're entering into one of these spaces and you're not really sure what you want, to tell the bud tender the experience you're looking to have, you know, are you going to watch a movie with this? Are you looking to chill out? Are do you want to be really high? I mean, some people are like, that's what I want to be. I haven't done this since college. I want to try it again and see if I have the same effect. Tell them what you're looking to achieve and they'll make recommendations on the product. Um, if you're a novice and you've never consumed before, tell them that as well so that they don't give you something that's particularly high dose, which they shouldn't anyway, if you're kind of going in, I always recommend go in slow and low, you know, when you try a new product, any new product, and you're not sure how you're going to feel, be in a comfortable setting, be with people, you know, well, this isn't the time to be like, you know what, I'm going to take this right before I go rock climbing, which I've never done before. Like, (laughs) And you wouldn't do that with anything. So, uh, you know, slow and low. Um, and with beverage, I think that's why it's particularly a good gateway in for people to try as a cannabis product because the onset is quick, but the offset is consistent and you're not committed to a three hour experience or more. This is a one hour experience and it's buildable and it's, you know, because of the dosing capabilities, it's buildable and sessionable, similar to how you would be if you were at a barbecue drinking beer. Okay. Yeah. I think that's important for people to know, you know, obviously there's probably some anxiety around walking into a dispensary or just going, Hey, what do I do? And and maybe people don't know what they want. So asking good questions from a bud tender go, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. That's what we're looking for. And they have a good experience versus, you know, now they have a negative one. So, right. Right. Okay. And we're looking at, you know, you're looking at strength, you're looking at the length of the high and those sorts of situations. Okay. And these products taste good. 
the okay. technology eliminates the cannabis flavor. If if a brand wants it to be there, they can add terpenes in and they can build that. And there are some wonderful beverages out there that yeah. play into the herb, just like tea would play into it. Um, and they, you know, and there are also flavors that complement the cannabis taste. So some brands do play with it and really honor the plant in that regard. But these beverages taste great. I, you know, I've said this in the past. When the when the alcohol brands get into the space, we know they will. They'll buy up a bunch of brands. This is what they do. Um, I'll be interested to see if these become cannabis companies with alcohol brands versus alcohol brands that bought cannabis beverages. Because the more these are accessible, they taste good. I'm someone that as I got older, with the exception of wine, I do love my wine. I realized, you know, I don't really like the taste of alcohol. Okay. And if those people, this is a beverage line. Lemonade tastes like lemonade. It doesn't right. taste like cannabis and lemonade. So these products taste good. Um, and, you know, with anyone who's been in CPG, the product doesn't taste good. They're not buying it again. Sure. These products taste good. It's good to know. Yeah, I think that would probably be a misconception of people think that if they're going to get this product is going to taste like that or smell like that. You know, it might smell like that maybe or no. It can. It doesn't yeah. have to, though. Uh, our technology, for example, at Source, it mitigates the flavor and the smell. You, okay. Again, you can add the terpenes back in if you want that. And we have had beverages that want that. Um, sometimes, especially with low-dose products, more so on the CBD beverage side than THC, which is the intoxicating cannabinoid, people would say, well, how do I know it's in there? Because CBD isn't going to get you high. And so people would want to have some of the herb flavor for the sake of knowing it's in there because 20 milligrams of CBD might help you achieve homeostasis, but you're certainly not going to get an intoxicating effect. And I guess some of that could even be like placebo effect, right? Just knowing mentally right. that it's there. Yep. Okay. Yep. And you know, placebo effect works. Uh, you know, when yeah. I'm and I take Advil, I feel like it's almost immediate that it starts to go away. And I think it's because my brain knows it's coming. Sure. Like it, it certainly works, but I definitely think that my brain is kind of already excited that it's going to go away soon. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you can trick your own brain into doing whatever the hell it wants, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into like some labeling and things like that. Um, I just had this thought. There, I've seen some packaging on say like edibles and things like that that looks like starburst or candy or whatever like is it they gotta like we gotta be careful with that stuff yes and, and most brands I, I would say reputable brands try and stay away from doing that okay we don't want you know that's always like there was always you want your kid to grab it and go oh you and, know and you know people would say things like um you know they're gonna uh, if you make cannabis legal they're gonna put give cannabis gummies out at halloween no we're not first of all they're expensive <laughs> You're not handing <laughs> out $5 gummies to children. Um, but also, you know, that's, you know, the people in this space, many of them, their backstory is, you know, a, a personal story. There's motivation behind them being in this space. A lot of the people, I mean, this is before me, the legacy um, cannabis industry. This is definitely a medicinal plant yeah. to them. Yeah. This is relief. Um, and they have struggled to get us here. Like I'm honored that I get to work with those people because they yeah. have the, a lot of them have been the jail. They've got records, you know, all sorts of things like that. And, uh, you know, where we are today is purely because of that. Sure. And it, it's important to respect. I mean, you know, the future of cannabis might be different than it is today, but you have to respect the past and where it came from as well. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And just even just the stigma around it, you know, and things like that. And obviously alcohol is, you know, definitely actually, I don't know the answer, but I'm assuming it, the alcohol is responsible for more vehicle accidents than, you know, marijuana. I mean, statistically, probably yes, but if there's THC in someone's system, it's going to be in the headline. Even if it's from 30 days ago. Like when Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters passed away, there was a lot of stuff in his system. THC was listed. THC was not the did not have a reaction with anything in his system. That was not at fault, but it's good for clickbait. And sure. there is still that stigma. So they list it. Um, plus, you know, they're also trying to make the point like this is illegal in that region and blah, 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 regardless of what the impact was on his health. Yeah. Regardless of, and I don't know how he passed, but, you know, I'm assuming there's other there you were, know, pills and yeah. things like that, that, you know, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have been able to have access to, you know, right. or, or right. some doctor was not doing the right thing. So. And he had some underlying health issues that I don't think anyone knew about. Maybe he did and he was being treated for those, but that was something that I think came out later. But yeah. I remember like, you know, I was a huge Foo Fighters fan. So I yeah. was kind of following that story. And when I saw it written up with THC, it was like so disheartening. Yeah. So it was just like, that wasn't involved in this. And now you've tied it to this. Yeah, you and brought it into this unfair. conversation. Yeah. I mean, but, you can have like 10 beers and have a little bit of cannabis. And if something were to happen, they cannabis would be at fault. Yeah. Interesting. It's unfortunate. Okay. Well, hey, I mean, that's what that's why we're having these uh, conversations, right? Exactly. And it's all about the education. Perfect. And then so, yeah. So again, source technology, y'all make your water-soluble ingredients and been around for, I don't know, what, 200 years or something like that? Or 200 years in the, the food beverage? It's been around for a while. We are, what we, uh, you know, most You're not the- 200 years old, right? No, no, I'm okay. not. Um, okay. That'd yeah, be pretty impressive. Around. Um, yes, the, the emulsification of ingredients is not a new process. So this is something very familiar to food and beverage as a whole, the way source applies the, the technology itself to the ingredient and some of the ingredients included, that's the proprietary, um, knowledge that allows us to have the fast onset, but also a superior taste profile and elongated st- stability as well. Most beverages in CPG aren't designed to stay on a shelf for more than three months. Uh, if they're sitting on a shelf for more than that, that means they're not selling and Coca-Cola is going to pull them anyway. Right. Um, but in cannabis, people want the beverage to have 12 month stability. And that's just kind of a, a people want as long as they can, because that's what they want. It's not necessarily necessary, but we do have elongated stability with our solutions and our solutions are, we're known for beverage because that's how we entered the market, which was, you know, we entered the market way back in like 2018. Um, I did the rebrand for source when I joined the team then. So we've been, you know, in the market with beverage for the last five years, most of us consume, prefer to consume through beverage, but our solutions can be used in gummies, any sort of edible topicals, you know, anything that can be processed, our ingredient can be used with. The folks who work at source, so you were you worked with them when you were in Seattle and now you're yeah. in Virginia. Yeah. Is there anything in like a handbook that says, hey, FYI, if you are, you know, yeah, I mean, if you're injured on the job and it's deemed because of is that in your handbook? Like, how do you how do you navigate there's that? Always, that's a thing. There's always, you know, a clause in the employee handbook that's, you know, can't be intoxicated. Yeah. 
the issue is uh, with cannabis, and this has always been the issue, you have a breathalyzer for beer and alcohol and all of that. Yeah. That doesn't exist for cannabis. Yeah. Um, I We don't allow consumption during work hours, things like that. So we definitely limit that. But you know, we have, for example, on Wednesdays, we do get high Wednesdays where we sample product because we need to be able to speak to it. We need yeah. to know we need, we have a sensory group, so we need to awesome. vote on flavor profiles yeah. and things like that. You know, Ubers are always, you know, free for the, the company at that point. We want people right. to be safe. Like we don't want to take any risks either, but for the most part, you know, we're, we're sampling that product, especially with beverage and 45 minutes later, we know we're good and it's basically out of your system. So, you know, if we do it four o'clock, you know, five o'clock rolls around, you're good. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's good to know. Got to know what you're selling, right? Or got to know what you're working with. Perfect. Absolutely. Let's switch gears a little bit. We have the Cannabis Drinks Expo coming up. Um, it is a one-day expo. We're doing it once in San Fran and once in Chicago. Is that right? Yes. There's okay. um, the 27th in San Francisco and on the 1st of August in Chicago. Okay. And has Source been a part of this kind of ever from the start? Yeah, pretty much. Um as a supplier, it's a really great show for us to meet brands in different regions. Um, for us, we've always done the California one. Chicago was, I believe, added two years ago. Um, at one point, they had had it where they also did food, so infused products like chocolates or gummies or things like that. But they really focus on beverage primarily. Um, it's a great opportunity to meet producers. I mean, one thing that's unique to cannabis, and it's because of the regulations, we're in like bubbles. You know, the Washington market is different and the way they operate, the people working in it is different than Michigan. Uh, you know, so a lot of times these shows are opportunities to meet people you've emailed or, yeah. you know, this is really what people are doing. It's it's a meet and greet opportunity. The beverage one is this is the only one dedicated only to beverage. So if you're in the beverage space and this one you need passion for because we are a small but mighty 3% of the market pretty much, um, you know, we... This is an opportunity for our people to get together, bring some PR um, and media attention to beverage, um, share product with each other, uh, explain, you know, hey, we're expanding into this market. Who can we work with? There's a lot of collaboration in the beverage side specifically because we can there's room for all of us at the table if this category grows. So. Yes, there are competitors, but a lot of times the competitors have to, you know, work together to overcome things. Yeah, hundred percent. And one of the things that struck me too was that uh, one of the first speakers in San Francisco is Paul Weaver, and he is head of cannabis at the Boston Beer Company. Right, those who make Sam Adams. Right, we're going to see more of these beer brands, like you mentioned, getting into this, and they know they know they have to. Right, I'm sure Boston Beer has been working at this for years, kind of under the radar going, Hey, what's the next step? I mean, they're super innovative. You know, they're not dumb. Yeah. All the beverage makers have been watching this space. Um, you know, when you're a big brand, you have more to lose getting into a, a new space like this. So you're going to be careful. There's always going to be that like red tape or, or, you know, yeah. three year analysis of the market and all that. And that makes sense. I think we're going to see a lot more crossover. What I hope we see there is a culture in this space that is different. Um, and I think it's very similar probably to what craft beer saw where it's, it's definitely more community oriented. There's a lot more collaboration, 
because there has to be. Yeah. When people come in sometimes from the outside, they kind of come in like a bull in a China shop and they start like, well, why don't we do this and this and this? And I'm like, you're going to find the hurdles soon. Yeah. We've gone through it. And there's a lot of people saying no. That's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of things like that. But ultimately we benefit in the long run from those people coming over to our space. I mean, in Minnesota, which became a pioneer for cannabis beverage that we never saw coming. Um, they're working very closely with brewers and the Craft Brewers Guild in Minnesota helped with the regulations because they wanted their brewers to continue participating in the cannabis beverage space. Um, so we're proving now with that case study that alcohol and cannabis can play in the same sandbox and get along. Yeah. And, you know, the case study there is also showing that these breweries, by being able to offer another offering other than alcohol, they're actually bringing in more revenue. And they're also selling those products at convenience stores, restaurants. So there's additional revenue coming in. Um, yeah, you're, we, you're hitting a new demographic, right? It's like, hey, I don't yeah. drink beer. Okay, it's okay. They have other things for you here, you know. Yeah. And, and they taste good. Um, yeah. I, was, I, I went to Minneapolis to kind of experience it because as I was telling you before, this industry is its pockets, its bubbles. Um, you don't really know what's happening in a space or how the regulations are impacting a particular market unless you're boots on the ground, unless you're working there. I by no means was in Minneapolis long enough to say I know exactly how everything's working there. But I can tell you how normalized the cannabis beverage scene was. I mean, when I checked into my hotel, you know, they always ask like, oh, business or pleasure. And, I, you know, sometimes I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, so I don't say what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I work in cannabis beverage. And, you know, I actually had gone there for 420 because I was like, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> That's so awesome. Went to check it out. And he was like, oh, we sell two here. So they were selling them in their marketplace next to like the Coors Light and stuff that you wow. would you know, buy and bring up to your room. And they knew so much about the beverage, hmm. the onset time, the offset time. I was blown away by that because there's a lot of people working in this space, you know, even bud tenders, because beverage is such a small market right. that don't know all the details he was sharing. Um, but it was for me, I was like, this is a, t I call it the taste of the future. This is what we're going to see. And eventually there'll be products being mixed, like just like you would get a cocktail or something somewhere. Yeah. We're going to see a lot more of that, I think, in the future. Yeah. But it was, uh, you know, went to a restaurant, ordered a cannabis drink instead of my vodka soda or wine or something like that. It was hard for me to leave Minneapolis and go back to, at the time, Seattle, which was a high dose market with 100 milligram skews at two ounce shots. That's not up my alley. I, I couldn't get no. access in Seattle to the products that I liked. I, I, I know a guy who works in cannabis, so I'm lucky that I was able to get what I need in, in Seattle. But it's actually easier for me now in Virginia, which has not gone fully wreck yet. Um, they will next year. Okay. But it's it's easier for me to get my products here, which is funny because it's not yet a legal market, but I can get the Hempty Nine beverages here via mail and they're shipping them. So, so I was going to ask you, you know, being there, how are you testing these products and things like that, right? So you're yeah, allowed to get them. I'm allowed to get the Hempty Nine products. And most of the, you know, the brands selling Hempty Nine infused beverages are not shipping to states like Washington because right. they have an active market. And there is some regulatory differences between Washington and other states that limit the infused options that aren't in the cannabis regulated space. And at the expo, that is your panel, right? You're talking about Hempty Nine. Yes. 
Hempty Nine has been controversial for many reasons. Um, ultimately, there are brands that have operated and jumped through hoops to work in the cannabis regulated market. I mean, there are systems you have to be, tra you, they track that plant from seed to sale and they know every bit about where that plant's going. It's very difficult to comply. It's very difficult to comply with cannabis regulations in these states. So when Hempty 9 comes out and that work that workaround is, is identified in the farm bill, right. you have these people who have spent millions of dollars oftentimes to launch a product, grow a product, have expanded into other markets, replicating the same process, which can be painful because you basically need new co-packers, new distillate suppliers. You, you need basically all new vendors with the exception of your emulsion supplier uh, for the most part. So there, there would normally be a butting of heads. And I think we see a lot of that in the gummy market because there are Hempty Nine gummies. Gummies is a much bigger market share. Right now, what Minnesota is doing in these Hempty Nine beverages being able to expand, it's allowing the category to finally get the attention that we've wanted it to get. Mm. For people to understand you know, and see what's happening in Minneapolis and realize like, okay, there aren't any social issues. There's no increased accidents. The state's not on fire. You know, the alcohol industry isn't angry about it. It's created new revenue for breweries as well as restaurants that are able to sell this at their pot at their locations. So using that case study to bring attention to what's happened um, or what the opportunity is in beverage is huge for our category. So as much as there was, you know, there's frustration that there are so many hurdles you have to go through in, in regulated markets, ultimately Minnesota's situation expedited their legalization. If that happens in other markets, this is a win for the entire beverage category. Hmm. So while there might be some, you know, headbutting in other categories, for the most part, beverage and the Cannabis Beverage Association, we are fully on board with supporting the Hempty Nine, you know, beverages in the market because it's bringing attention to the category that's been underserved till now. And the D stands for Delta, like we, you know, in Pennsylvania, yeah. we see Delta Nine, Delta Eight, right? Yes. So that's that's what we're looking at, right? Yes, Delta. And is it true? I guess like there's there's probably some myths and thoughts about these things, but. Like Delta 9 THC from hemp is the same as cannabis, except hemp derived has sure. 0.3% or less THC or something along those lines. So D9 is D9. Okay. You're going to have the same experience, whether it's two milligrams of hemp derived Delta 9 at, or as two milligrams of cannabis derived Delta 9. There's no difference other than the origin. You know, obviously there's a big focal point. The farm bill gets reviewed at the end of this year and there right. could be changes. And so there's a lot of effort to not go backwards. It's kind of hard to put the genie back in the bottle, but there are a lot of efforts to try and, you know, make this a space that is not, it's not that it's not regulated because not regulated isn't the, really the problem. These products are safe. Most of them are being manufactured by brewers who are already working in a regulated market, and they have to be super safe because they don't want to use their lose their alcohol license either. So right. in Minnesota, you're dealing with true beverage professionals. These beverages might be just as safe as as a regulated market. It's it's more about you know making sure these it's understood what these products are, um, and I think one of the kind of confusing points that's come from this hemp derived Delta Nine situation is. Hemp has always been associated with something that isn't intoxicating. As a result, like bracelets. Yeah, you know, paper, paper bag, 
Now we have headphones and jackets and all sorts of things. And now it can be confusing to a consumer that's trying to educate themselves on, wait, but this is going to get me high now. What about before when this wasn't getting me high and it was just hemp extract? Mm -hmm. So it does cause a little bit of confusion, but I think with the right education, we can get around that. Um, And ultimately, the brands that have expanded in this space, I think have done a great job at educating the consumer through their social and other platforms that are made available to them. Um, And from what I saw in Minnesota, and I've seen in some other markets where these beverages are being sold, the, the store owners, the buyers, they have been very well educated on the technology, the experience, why something is the way it is. And the consumer isn't leaving unsure of what they've just bought. They're very positive in, in terms of what they bought, um, and they feel confident in that product. And it's it's been going really well in, in those markets. So we're hoping to be able to duplicate that in other markets as well. Isn't it crazy that Minnesota was like on the forefront of this? <laughs> that would be like one of the last states, I would think. Yep. This was, um, I don't think anyone saw it coming. Uh, Minnesota being the pioneer of cannabis beverage was not something on our, you know, in our (laughs) crystal balls, but you know what, we'll take it and great job. And, and, you know, from what I've seen from the companies there and the way they're operating, they're doing it, they're making it look so good. They make our category look so good with the professionalism that they are applying to creating these beverages. And a lot of that is attributed to the brewers that are participating in the space. Like, the co-packer is like a fair state, right? Yeah. Yeah. The co- co-packing has always been a bottleneck, literally and figuratively, uh, for the beverage category uh, in regulated markets, because with beverages being two, three percent of the market in some of these places, it's not high priority for a licensed co-packer to have a bottling line, which are very expensive. They're going to make more money right now on flour and you know vape cartridges and concentrates because the can the existing cannabis consumer is consuming higher dosages they are consuming oil they are smoking they are you know consuming mm. other ways beverage isn't that isn't their preferred. So it's a different it's a different target market it's a different target market i i like to put it as do you want to make money now or do you want to make money later mm. because i believe that with beverage right now in california Washington, for example, the hundred milligram products are the ones moving. But what we're seeing on the you know the East Coast is people are more interested in the sessionable products. And some of that is due to regulations and caps that they've put on beverages. But ultimately, I think in the future, when we do get that additional market share, it's not coming from the existing cannabis consumer. It's coming from the people who weren't consuming before. Maybe they were consuming alcohol or maybe they gave up alcohol and they were drinking the NA beers and the NA, you know, all the other alternatives there are. And they're coming over to cannabis. We're the long haul, the long, long game here is converting people that aren't already consuming cannabis. We might get some that jump over to beverage and really like the experience. And if we do great, but I think ultimately where we're going to see the growth in the beverage sector is people who aren't consuming cannabis yet, but have always kind of wondered. And now they have the ability to. Well, it's funny. Like I'm hearing about more and more people say like my parents' age, right? Baby boomers, like getting into edibles now, right? It's almost, yeah. I feel like, cause you're not smoking it, right? It's, it's a little more, I don't know, inconspicuous or something like yeah. that. You know, when you're my grandmother, you know, like she's tried these beverages. My 
you know, aunts, uncles, like a lot of people are trying these products and they weren't going to pick up a joint. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they don't own a grinder. Like, they, <laughs> not, you know, my yeah. grandmother's not going to a dispensary either. You know, there's just things that aren't natural and you're not going to change in your life at that age. Um, this is something they're just replacing their afternoon cocktail or whatever with yeah. cannabis beverage instead. Yeah. And again, inconspicuous. No one needs to know. And if you are treating a medical situation, yeah. that is even nicer for you because if you did have something that you were using these products for medicinal purposes, who wants to be like, oh, I've, it's basically saying I have to go take my medicine if you're going to go and smoke a joint around the corner. And that's just not comfortable. There's, and like I said, these products you can actually enjoy like, and enjoy the taste. It's not just like, right. oh, I got to chug this drink and get it over with. Right. This is something where they can, you know, manage it. And if they want more, they can have more. It's, it's very easy for them to manage. Yeah. Grandma can get her pain management right at the grocery store, go home and watch prices right, and all is good. Bingo. That's <laughs> all she wants to do. <laughs> and so on the other side of that spectrum too, right, the Gen Z, the younger folks, they're not really drinking alcohol as much because I think they are finding some of these alternatives, be it, you know, microdosing mushrooms or getting into, you know, yeah. these, these um, you know, hemp or cannabis-derived products. So a few years ago, there was the CBD beverage craze. And anyone who was in the beverage space who yeah. went to Expo West, there was like this huge CBD, 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 CBD signs everywhere. That's kind of plateaued. And, you know, the beverages that have, you know, survived that kind of phase are in it for the long haul. People know them. They have consistent, you know, viewership, if you will. Um, CBD ended up being what I think I'm considering it the gateway to mainstream food and bed, feeling comfortable with things like mushrooms. I was going to say that kind of had to happen for us to get where we are now, right? Yes. Yep. And that was an, a crucial stepping stone. And I, I tell this story a couple of years ago. I, I've been going to Expo West for years. Before I was in cannabis, uh, I was in entertainment marketing. So I'd go to Expo West to see what new brands were out there, if they wanted yep. product placement, if they wanted to be in a music video, things like that. I was at the lobby of like, I won't name the hotel in case they don't want to be named, um, of one of the main hotels there. And they, that's known for like the after hour kind of happy hour. Everyone's kind of in that lobby bar. Yep. And there was a guy handing out mushrooms. And I just thought to myself, where, where are we? If you had told <laughs> me two years ago, you know, and this was um, post COVID. So this was right after COVID. I'm like, if you had told me 10 years ago that I was going to come here and there'd be anything like this being passed around, I would have said you were nuts. Um, but it's it was the first one where people were like, okay, we let this out of the gate. Things look good. Like, what's next? And I, I will say, I think that is ultimately backfired with D.A.R.E., right? Sure. D.A.R.E. said cannabis is the gateway. This is dangerous, blah, 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 blah. And now it's being promoted as sometimes a health and wellness product. Yeah, right. Um, not, I, I hope people aren't going, does this mean heroin's good for me? Like, you know, like I think sure. most people can know that it's not the same, but you know, it's, that's where they failed. Um, it's, it's definitely, you know, are we going to, in 10 years, find out that something else we haven't been, you know, we've been saying is dangerous for people right. is the next in homeopathic solutions for any ailment. You never know. Um, and I think this was the beginning of us really testing that. And, you know, Minnesota is really doing it in a unique way. <laughs> That's wild.
So Minnesota's ahead of California and Colorado, right? I mean, in many not. ways, yes, for the beverage side in particular, side. just because of where they can sell. Um, I, I wouldn't say they're ahead. I would say they're in a different market. They are getting in front of the what I consider the future uh, beverage right. consumer. Okay. California is dealing with legacy. And quite frankly, legacy is consuming more cannabis. So those brands should be making more money as a result. Um, but that isn't always the case due to, you know, 280 taxes, the way the cannabis market is regulated in various states. The products are expensive to make too. I mean, it's not, all right, you make a beer. Well, now we're adding these things to it, right? So it's additional cost of raw materials. Um, I had Keith Via on who was the founder of Blue Moon Brewing Company. And then he's making, you know, Syria, which is his THC infused beer. And, you know, we went through the cost. I mean, it's it's not cheap. So, you know, you can certainly expect to pay more for these products. Absolutely. And with, I mean, the way I look at it is if I was at a bar and I got a glass of wine, you know, that can vary from $8 to $15.20. I mean, depending yeah. on what type of wine it is, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm buying something that is going to give me an intoxicating mm-hmm. effect and I'm spending 10 bucks on it, I don't want to do that if I'm buying it in bulk because that's obviously ridiculous. But if you think about it, the experience you're having is worth that at a restaurant. You would pay that. So I try to think about it that way. Um, it's not always easy because you'll see like taxes or frankly with the Hempty Nine products, it's expensive to ship water. Mm. You know, if 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 you're shipping water anywhere, it's heavy. <laughs> Takes up sure. it's expensive. They would much rather prefer it be on store shelves and them using yeah. a distributor than shipping to one-off things. And that's why you have, yeah. you know, most of these beverages selling online, they're selling cases because that's where they can even out the volume versus, you know, offsetting the cost. And frankly, I'm almost at a point where I'm like, just bake it into the full cost, hide right. the price of shipping. I don't want to know. I'll, I'll sure. just, you know, in my head, that beverage is now $2 more per skew. I'm still going to drink it. Just like that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you do have to expect that, um, you know, right now, every market's different, you know, supply and demand kind of yeah. situations. You know, when you have a limitation on co-packers, you'll be in a state, Chicago at one point had like two beverages on the market. And that was because one of the only co-packers, there was one co-packer and they were only producing their brands. They Mm. weren't opening that up as another revenue stream like brewers are in Minnesota. So, you know, another co-packer opened up and and they got to say they doubled the beverage market because it went from two to four. Uh, You know, a little asterisk there. It's a nice, uh, you know, marketing, you know, promo. Sure, yeah. you know, went from two to four. And that was a market that had been legal for years at that point, but they made that jump. And it's because the investment in beverage, because it's a small market in a cannabis regulated state, you're, you gotta be in it to win it. And you gotta be in it for the long haul because you're not going to make that money back immediately in beverage. Um, It's a large upfront investment for um, a bottling line, um, I think there's been some interest and a lot of focus on these mobile, uh, mobiling, mobile canning lines that you've seen a lot. That's that's become very popular because, hey, we found a licensed facility. They don't have the bottling line, but if you come here and produce, it counts. Hmm. That that's become the workaround, and quite frankly, it's worked. It's been yeah. great for you know our clients at Source that have used it. They've appreciated the flexibility. It also allows them to go to new markets. And have and still use the same vendor because they're just moving the equipment over to another state. Um, the routines are not different for them. They're not dealing with a new vendor. So there are some benefits to that. But 
Is it the most convenient and is it, you know, the most affordable? No. How many brands are there with THC beverages? Oh gosh. Um, is there, I mean, they're hundreds or. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, what I can tell you too, Minnesota has like 150 SKUs, which is mind boggling. Cause if you yeah. look at California, California probably has 10 notable brands. Once okay. you start going, you know, 11, 12, the sales are pretty negligible for those brands there. And they're usually, you know, a product that's in addition to a brand that has a flower, has a gummy, it's an add on. It's not just that one beverage yeah. generally when you get to that level, but the first 10 brands are the ones making a majority of the money and they're the ones you recognize. That's kind of true in every market. So when you go to Minnesota and you walk into a, a liquor store, which is where I was, and I was seeing the beverages being sold kind of right there. And they tell me they have 75 SKUs. I'm like, what are you talking about? How? Mm -hmm. Like, and then you see them and it's a huge wall of beverage, which at a dispensary right now in, in Washington or California, there's still little displays. Some so places five really SKUs. do it up. Uh, there's, you know, for example, um, Sweet Flower is one of my favorite stores to go to in LA. Very, um, you know, it's in West Hollywood. They have free valet. They know their audience. Um, <laughs> They've got a large beverage selection because they are dealing with kind of a different consumer there. Yeah. Uh, there are probably 20 brands there, range, ranging from like Mary Jones, which is the Jones Soda version of the oh, uh, okay. version. Yeah. Um, and then there are some like Pomos, which is a, I, I consider it like a, it's like a bougie beverage. It's like a Bellini in a bottle, but it's like a ceramic bottle. So it's really okay. fancy. And then you have things that are, you know, can is there and you've got wonder and a few others that, you know, just kind of look like you would replace your beer with it. Yeah. Um, so you've got a wide variety. So you do have some stores really promoting beverage. And I think those stores will do well in the future because because of that, but they're starting early. Most, most stores don't have huge displays. And like, I was in Palm desert. It was like 110 degrees. I walked into their dispensary, which is right on their main drag. And I'm thinking this is probably just one big fridge. They had one beverage there. Oh, wow. And I was like, this, this is a mess. And I was, like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, so let me tell you about all these beverages that are in California that you need to have here. Yeah. I'm dying of thirst right now. And I would love to just be able to buy the beverage here and go, you know, bring it yeah. over. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's kind of wild sometimes. And again, that's purely that store purely doesn't have beverage because of the category awareness that store, because it's so hot could be the one yeah. that brings a lot of awareness to the category by people going back home and being like, I should be looking for this beverage. That was great. Uh, but you know, those are the hurdles that we see in this space. Was there a reason they weren't carrying other products or? They take a lot of space. Okay. They take up a lot of space. That's one of the number one things you hear is, you know, retail space. They take up a lot of space and if they're not moving or it's a new, you know, a new category, it's tough. Also beverages sell better next to other beverages. If there's one or two beverages on a shelf and like 80 gummy options, you know, you'd kind of think like there must, they, they must not be good. I'll just try a gummy. Um, even though the experience is totally different and there might nothing be, be nothing wrong with those beverages, but there are hurdles. If you're limited on space, beverage right now wouldn't be what you prioritize. A lot of brands do what I think, you know, Pepsi and Coca-Cola have done where they're like, look, we'll give you a branded fridge. We'll give you the fridge. Can it sit here? Or we'll give you a yeah. counter one if that's allowed. And that's, you know, a workaround that some stores have been very, very open to. And I do think beverage has increased its footprint in stores since, you know, since I started in, in cannabis here. But um, 
it's still, you know, very underrepresented yeah. given the given the market as a whole. And when you see those big dollars of what people are spending on cannabis and you're thinking, why is Bedford so small? There's only like 2% of that. Right. But, you know, it's, again, do you want to make money now or make money later? That's kind of where how we look at this space. Yeah, I'm sure some of them want to make money now and sell it, mm-hmm. right? which is what the beer industry was for a little bit there, you know? Yeah. Make, get off the floor, make as much money as you can, get out of it or yep. start another one or whatever. But I do think that a branded fridge, though, would kind of, you see it, it is instant credibility. Like, yep, oh, it is. they know what they're doing. You know. Exactly. And it's so funny because it's just a branded fridge. Anyone can get right. a branded fridge. <laughs> for some reason, someone having that makes you think like, oh, they're a legitimate brand. They yeah. must be big because they have a branded fridge. So there there are things that consumers make assumptions on. And I fall for every You're marketing. marketing. I mean, you get I'm it, a right? Person, and I'll see it and I'm like, take my money. Like, <laughs> Please just take it. <laughs> when someone does something so well, I'm like, take my money. Like, yeah, I appreciate it. You know, there are some really excellent. Um, partnerships that I've seen some lifestyle brands get into and they do a lot of, you know, grassroots guerrilla marketing style things where they'll, you know, be the only, I I was one of my uh, hemp Delta nine beverages was saying that they sponsored a pickle festival just cause. Okay. (laughs) Only hemp D nine beverage there though. Right. And there were a bunch of alcohol brands selling at the pickle festival and people were interested. So they got, to be kind of the only, you know, the cool kid, the new kid. Yeah, like a clutter-free advertising. They got a lot of exposure. And, you know, yeah. the festival is a lot cheaper than, you know, some of these bigger festivals, right? That's a good so point. They're still making, you know, they're still getting in front of consumers and they're just finding different ways to do it. I do like seeing, you know, some of the, you know, like Burton Snowboards and yeah. those groups will partner. They're very creative. Those groups have always been creative with their partnerships. They know the target market who's drinking those products and they know that they're also involved in the snowboarding, that lifestyle. It's like Red Bull and Monster, right? And yeah, they know exactly. their skaters and yeah. Exactly. So you see that a lot. Um, and I, I think that needs to continue. Um, you know, the more ground game you have, the boots on the ground, the better yeah. your product is going to be. And it's hard to, you know, I, you can't outsource your sales programs. There are some teams that I think do it really well. Pedal Fast, for example, they are a marketing sales team that is in various markets and they help you sell your product for you instead of you hiring people there. They do a good job. But Ultimately, when you're a new startup brand, no one's going to sell it like you are. Correct. Nobody cares as much as you are. Even that's yeah. kind of the part where it comes down to like co-packing too. Like they're taking your recipe and making it. They kind of don't give a shit what happens. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. theirs. Yeah. You're paying them for co-packing. They're going to, you know, put in the batch and then give it to, you know, throw it off the line and then it's yours to move. So that's whatever happens, happens, you know. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. No one will ever sell your product more than you. And it's, you know, it's your baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, like I think I mentioned earlier, cannabis is very much a community right now, particularly cannabis beverage, because there's a lot of people that had to fight for what we have now. Um, there's also a lot of hurdles that we can't overcome unless we work together. You hear the phrase rising tides lifts all ships probably multiple times a day in this space mm-hmm. because that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. I work with some, you know, with the Cannabis Beverage Association. I work with two or three of our main competitors all the time. And like, we're all friends. We yeah. have to be like, how is this market? You know, we like in the beginning, like very early on, you would hear people who are running dis- delivery services say the regulations would change like overnight. Right. And they call each other because if they were all doing it the same way, even if they were misinterpreting the law, 
if they're all doing the same thing, they're not really going to get in trouble the same way as if one's doing one thing, one's doing the other. It's, you know, then it's more of a conversation with a regulator. That's how laws get changed, right? Yes. You know, and you know, that's a big part of what the cannabis beverage association does. And part of why I'm in Virginia, um, obviously there are some personal reasons here, but one of the big things I was like, beverage has never really been independently um, represented in Virginia, DC, Maryland, their cannabis and hemp as a whole have, but I'm, I am physically here partially to get these products in front of regulators, explain the technology, explain the experience and how it's different from all the other methods of consumption and really get them comfortable with it. Um, I want, I want beverage to have its own megaphone, if you will, when it comes to cannabis, because Regulators have a tough job on their hands. I wouldn't want it. I, I mean, there's a reason I'm not really in politics. And right. it's because I want that role. The regulators are hearing so much about cannabis, and cannabis is so much more complex because of all the different ways you can consume and what can be do, done with the plant. It's a lot. Beverage is ironically probably the most simple to explain. So if we can get them comfortable with that, I think beverage will be more accessible to consumers. Ultimately, we want our beverages to be sitting next to a white claw, the low dose ones, to be sitting next to a white claw, a Bud Light. That's something that's kind of comparable in experience or at least how you would apply it to your lifestyle. We want those next to each other. Uh, I think ultimately that would be a win for the cannabis beverage group because we're targeting a different consumer. So essentially, right, we're we're lobbying to, to make pathways here. Are there those lobbying against you? A lobbying against the beverage marijuana beverage industry. What's that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to like name some groups. Uh, I wouldn't say they're in cannabis per se. I think that they are external um, groups that aren't necessarily beverage specific that are lobbying against cannabis as a whole. Um, And I think edibles is a big category for them to focus on because what they would be dealing with would not be an enjoyable method of consumption. So ours is kind of giving more of that lifestyle vibe yeah. versus this is medicinal. Um, and there, you know, that's a complicated conversation because yeah. how do you ban a beverage when the person going against it is, you know, from pharma or something? Cause that's probably the biggest group going against this is probably pharma. Yeah. Well, interesting. Well, I'm excited to hear what comes out of the expo? I'm assuming a lot of the expo is, hey, how do we make this better? How do we grow it? How do we educate the public, right? I mean, that's that's a lot of what we're trying to do here. A huge part of it is, you know, meeting people that you've, you know, been emailing and all the stuff that you've seen on LinkedIn. Huge part of it is meeting and basically saying, how do we make this better? How do we collaborate? Uh, the Cannabis Beverage Association participates in a number of events because we're we want people to be able to try these products. We want them to support it just like we do. And the more members we have, the better it is when we get behind, you know, a a bill or something like that. The more brands that we can have sending letters on behalf of us and we try and streamline that process, that's that's what we're looking to do. Um, And ultimately, you know, it's going to come down to regulation, uh, you know, in terms of how this category does. I mean, cannabis in general, everyone's lobbying for something. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, who's having success and beverage is small, but we're mighty. We're going to, we're going to make a big push and, you know, we're hoping, you know, what we've seen in Minnesota, like I said, with the brewers getting behind it as something they can offer and as an additional offering, 
I'm hoping we can see that in other markets as well versus the whole fight we've always had is alcohol and cannabis are going to fight against each other because they're going to steal each other's, uh, you know, consumers. I think there's room for all of it. Um, ultimately, there, I think the experiences are still slightly different. And the reason, you know, people like beer is kind of different sometimes than the reason they're drinking a cannabis beverage. So, you know, ultimately there's room for both. Yeah. Uh, Cannabis isn't going to be for everybody. And that's okay. Like we're not saying cannabis is right. right. For and I'm not saying cannabis beverages are right for everyone. I think they are a better solution to a lot of other things out there. Measurable and predictable. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Can we do a couple uh, rapid fires? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. All right. You mentioned wine. So red wine or white wine or red. Okay. I, I am not a white wine fan. I don't know why it gives me headaches, but I'm a big red wine fan. I named my cat after a winery. I guess okay. my next cat will be be named after a cannabis beverage. So if any of the cannabis beverages want to start competing now, um, I'll take applications for my next cat. What would be the next city you would love to see cannabis beverages taking over? I mean, I'd love to see New York. New York's got a lot of regulatory hurdles, but New York is an influential market. Um, I think Boston's doing a great job. Uh, they have some really great products up there. Um, I think those are ultimately very influential. Um, just in general, the surrounding areas around them follow what they're doing in many ways. And sometimes like right now, probably a number of states are like, we don't want to do what New York did because there was you know, bad rollout. But yeah. We can learn from that. And, uh, you know, I ultimately think that New York is very influential. Um, Florida's an interesting market to watch just in general. Um, it's hot there year round. Beverages do better and it's hot. Uh, you know, summer's best. Love it. Yeah. Favorite munchy food? Oh, that's tough. Um, <laughs> kettle, crinkle cut chips and ranch dip. Um, and I'm very specific. So I'm kind of angry. Very at specific. Kettle. They discontinued the crinkle cut unless you go to Costco. They are only there. And it's, I'm in a fight with Kettle as far as I'm concerned. And then what you just get, and then you get like a big giant box oh, yeah. of them. I have a you, huge bag. It's definitely on like do not miss list when I'm at Costco. It's ridiculous. Love it. What about a recommended book or podcast? Obviously yours. Clearly. I don't have a book. Um, the Cannabis Beverage Association is going to launch uh, a podcast coming up. So thank you for the good plug on it. Look at that. Um, I knew it. Yeah, we're looking to launch it next month. Uh, something oh. I consider the funniest thing. I, well, something I did in cannabis last year that um, I didn't tell you about earlier. I registered August 20th as National Drink Cannabis Day. And it got approved last year at like August 17th. So I was like, great. No lead time to do anything with that. <laughs> Um, but this year we're trying to have some fun with it and have some, okay. ultimately, uh, in the way I looked at it was, you have 420, which is the traditional cannabis holiday. There is a 710 holiday, which is dedicated to oil and concentrates. So vapes and things like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that one's kind of plateaued a little bit, but someone told me that 710 came from oil being flipped over and reversed. And that's how you got the 710. I mentally can't really envision it, but I thought if they can have a day because of that, I can find a day for beverage. So I did August 20th because um, H2O, H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. Okay. And then August, it's a warm weather month in most states. So it's a good timing to have a, you know, a, a day focused around beverage. So, uh, you know, we're trying to have some fun with it. And the Cannabis Beverage Association will be promoting that as well. 
It's also uh, National Radio Day and World Mosquito Day. <laughs> that seems on brand. <laughs> That's on brand, Mosquito Day. The big joke is I came up with 820 when I wasn't high. And it seems like something that you would come up with when you're high. So I should just change my story. Well, I think what we can also incorporate there is it's National Chocolate Pecan Pie Day. So you can, I think Perfect. that can be while you're high day. Good you know? luck, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go call all the pie brands now and be like, we want to collaborate on my 820 uh, promotion here. <laughs> awesome. Well, very cool. Uh, where can we learn more about you? Follow you? Um, learn more about the expo or sure. source? Um, I'm big on LinkedIn. I huh? do. I produce quite a bit of content there. So if you go to Diana Eberline on LinkedIn, there aren't too many Diana Eberlines. So you should find me. Um, that's kind of primarily where I share okay. a lot of updates and things like that. Cannabisbeverageassociation.org is where you can learn more about the association um, and what we're doing. We promote, uh, you can also follow us on LinkedIn where we talk about, we'll promote happy hours and events that we're participating in so you can get more involved. Um, and then sourcetech.com. That's where you can learn more about water-soluble emulsion uh, technology. If you're looking for product-specific stuff, at the very bottom, there's a Powered by Source hashtag. You can click on that. It'll take you to a landing page of all of our partners that have Powered okay. by Source on their packaging or promote a partnership with us. Okay. So uh, we we do that because we think in the future, consumers are more aware of what's in their body now than they've ever been before. And we are we consider ourselves a premium product. I, I think the market would consider us a premium product in the marketplace. So a lot of our brands do want to advertise that they're working with Source because it, it's like a guarantee. We're going for that Intel inside, yeah. you know, kind of mentality. Uh, you know, it's too early with the beverage uh, group being a little bit uh, small. But as the as the awareness for this category grows, we hope to obviously have more brands out there that are open, very open about what. It's in their product. Love it. Awesome. Well, you've been a great guest. I really appreciate your time. Um, yeah. You know, you leaned in. I threw you a message on LinkedIn and said, hey, you want to do this? And you were like, sure. So thank yeah. you. Uh, you're okay. obviously daring mighty things in the beverage cannabis, uh, you know, marketplace. And um, so, but thank you. And, and best of luck at the expo. Yes. Something else we can talk about. You know, you have new ideas, things we should, you know, think about. Um, please, you know, let me know and happy Absolutely. to have you back. I I will definitely keep you posted. If we start doing more with brewers too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm a big advocate for working with the brewers. That's definitely been, I think, a huge benefit to the cannabis beverage growth in Minnesota, working with beverage professionals. Um, I really, I highly encourage that collaboration and I really hope that we continue to see that relationship grow. All right, brewers, you let her know. All right. Just give That's her a shout. Action. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Diana. This has been thank great. You, yes, it's been great. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. That'll help us get found by other fantastic people like yourself. I don't monetize this, so all I ask is that if you like it, share it with someone else who might like it. Connect with me on Instagram at Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Catch you all next time. Cheers and Beer Mighty Things. <laughs>